Buddhang Dhammang Sangkang Namatsami So here we are at the beginning of the year 2022 and 1st of January and the global pandemic drags on causing a lot of difficulties and also it coincides here for us with we have the long nights and short days and cold weather and doesn't uh, help necessarily as well as of course the uh, ongoing other issues that people have to deal with and environmental concerns and uh, economic concerns and political concerns and all of this does combine to be challenging uh, for many people and for a lot of people, it's deeply challenging and deeply threatening. And so this evening, I thought we could consider the question of how do we, as Buddhists, how do I, how do I meet this when we see people who are feeling so deeply threatened, or if we ourselves feel deeply threatened, how do we meet this? There is, of course, the option of trying to put a positive spin on everything. And we may convince ourselves for a while. However, does that really work? And is that what the Buddha was encouraging us to do? We've just been chanting the Dhamma Chaka Bhavatana Sutta. And the Buddha encourages the uh, reflection on the reality of the struggle, of the, the dukkha, of the suffering. And it might well be uh, that that's the direction we need to go in. However, for some people, giving them the teachings on the Four Noble Truths is really not appropriate. It's not, it doesn't help. If, if somebody's not ready to hear these teachings, they can be put off completely. And so we do need to be very careful. And just having a, the idea that the Buddhist teachings of the Four Noble Truths are just the most amazing, greatest teachings around, which is true, they are. Passing those teachings on to people, or turning to those teachings for ourselves, if we're not properly prepared, can in fact make things worse. There's an interesting story in the scriptures where the Buddha, with his insight, recognized that there was this chap who was ready to realize Dhamma. And he set out to find this fellow and, and, and give him the teachings. However, when he got to the village where this chap was living, he, was, he found that he was tired and he was hungry from the work that he'd been doing in the fields. And So the Buddha had the, uh, the villagers see that this fellow was fed properly first. And then he gave him the teachings. And, and after this incident, some of the monks were talking about it, and the Buddha pointed out that such hunger can in fact be an obstruction to people understanding Dhamma and so the Buddha didn't give the teachings until this fellow was properly fed and, and this, is, this is worth paying attention to and probably in our case we, none of us have gone hungry for a very long while however we do have other 
areas of struggle and the people that we meet and people we talk with you listen to the pain in their voice and and paying attention to that and this this story personally this story for me symbolizes the need for a quality of sensitivity to where the person is at being careful not to be overly impressed with the clever ideas that we have about reality, including the clever ideas that we have about Dhamma. Most of us have been educated in scientific education and encouraged to identify with our, our ability to speculate conceptually. And it's a mental capacity that has got many advantages However, it's got a disadvantage of, of uh, leaving us somewhat unaware of what our heart and what our guts are telling us. So being careful when we come across people who are struggling intensely and, and not just assuming that the teachings on the Four Noble Truths are the right thing for everybody all the time. And there are many Buddhists around who I've observed are making dramatic effort in their practice in a direction to make their minds peaceful. In fact, I've heard, I remember hearing a talk by a monk some years ago and now sit there and now I'm determined to make your mind peaceful. And, and what that tends to do is encourage people just to narrow their field of attention and concentrate, concentrate, concentrate and, and perhaps they do break through to something lovely and peaceful and agreeable. And feeling really good in the process. However, if that becomes the, the MO, if that becomes the, the, the way of operating to access well-being, that can translate into how we live our lives, excluding, excluding those things that we find annoying, an exclusive kind of narrow-minded concentration. We might think that we're heading in a good direction. We might have some experience of well-being coming from that sort of effort. However, is it balanced? Or does it make us even more split off from reality? So something to pay attention to. I've noticed that over the years in monasteries, people turn up and, and are very impressed with the Dhamma and, and great aspirations of practicing Dhamma. And... and yet they can be overly enamoured with their own views and opinions about what constitutes Dhamma practice. And, and so when the teacher or the tradition or the community asks them to do things that they don't want to do, you know, like help out with doing the dishes or help out with sweeping leaves or you know, help out with the work in the monastery, it you know, doesn't, doesn't suit their preferences, then they dismiss it and, and often you know, just end up criticizing the teacher and the teachings and the tradition and, and walking away. However, it might be that, in fact, that was exactly what was needed. If we're overly enamored with our own views and opinions and not really listening to what our heart's telling us, what our guts are telling us, then we can be missing out on a lot of information and throwing ourselves even more out of balance. We haven't done the groundwork, in other words. It's normal when People begin training in the monastery. It's very normal. And you're a junior member of the community. You, you end up often in roles where you, 
you know, driving the teacher around and taking him here, taking him there, maybe you know, picking something up for him or doing his washing, and and in the process, uh, you become familiar with uh, the benefits that that teacher has accrued in the years of training. That's not necessarily going to happen if you're sitting in your room meditating all day long. Even though you might think that sitting in your room meditating all long all day long is the the right thing to do. The ideas we have of practice, when we're identified with those ideas as being ourself, this is who we are, I'm a walking head, that's who I am. If that's the condition we're in, then we can misappreciate the Buddha's teachings and, and not do the groundwork. It's like if you're building a house and, and instead of paying attention to putting down the foundations and you're obsessing about the colour you're going to paint the living room, that's, that's, that's dangerous. It may be nice to dream about the colour you're going to paint the living room. However, what's important at that stage of building a house to really pay very careful attention to the foundations. So not only can you throw yourself out of balance if you're caught up in, in these ideas of, of practice that we've accumulated from reading a book or cultivating this narrow-minded attitude or approach to practice, we can also be missing out on a lot of the lessons to be learnt from, from the everyday difficulties that we're likely to encounter. So, you know, for instance, if the teacher asks you to help out with the dishes or help out with the cooking or you know, do some driving and say, oh, I want to go and meditate. What is that? I want to go and meditate. I want to do what I want to do. Has that really worked in the past for us? We've been doing that for a long while and can feel like, yeah, this is really convincing, feel like the right thing to do from my perspective. However, I've been following my way for a long while and, and what are the results? So the invitation in this training, in this tradition, is to look at this commitment to my way of doing things and see if we can uh, loosen our grasp on it a little bit and and if we do, well then, yeah, we're going to find a lot of things in life very annoying and disagreeable. However, they can also be our teachers. And we can learn a lot from developing patience. We can build up strength by being patient, by willing to bear with things that are disagreeable. And learn how to cultivate a kindly disposition to to people that we don't perhaps necessarily agree with or want to live with. And, and such qualities of heart, qualities of mind, and kindness, compassion, patience, determination, resolution. This is doing the groundwork. This is building the foundations. And, and if we give ourselves into this aspect of practice, well then, later on, we'll be better prepared to go deeper and look more closely at those things that are, uh, are really troubling us. And just because something's disagreeable doesn't mean to say that we can't learn from it. And some years ago, or many years ago now, when I was living in Thailand, I heard how the, uh, at Wat Pong, the main monastery where Ajahn Chah used to live, 
there was a practice of in the, the middle part of the monastery of the monks in the afternoon sweeping all the leaves, just clearing all the leaves, of which there were a lot because there was a lot of trees, sweeping up all the leaves and carrying them off to the edges of the forest and then dumping them out of the trees. And so around the centre of the forest there was more open space. And so this was the practice that went on for a long time. However, as time went by, it became apparent that the, these trees were becoming very spindly and kind of sick-looking. And what's going on here? And you know, the, the temple looked lovely, all the clear space, all the leaves swept up. However, then somebody who knew a bit more about botany came along and pointed out, well, actually, those leaves are full of the trees, and that's the nutriment for the trees. And if you sweep them up and take them all away... It might look nice and clean, it might be more agreeable, but actually you're starving the trees that are there. And so there's a change of routine and based on that understanding and, and the leaves were then left and we swept pathways between the leaves and so walking between the, the different buildings through these pathways rather than clearing all the leaves away from the centre of the monastery. So there's a lot to learn even from situations that we find thoroughly disagreeable. And let's remember that the Buddha the Buddha didn't just teach concentration. He, he also laid a lot of emphasis on, on sati or you know, not just sati but the sati sampajanya. You know, sati you know, disciplined attention and sampajanya remembering the bigger picture. Disciplined attention remembering the bigger picture. If we if we hold this in mind, then and we have faith in the Buddha's teachings, then perhaps there's a better chance that instead of just aiming for making the mind peaceful and trying to force ourselves into some sort of agreeable state, we work with the quality of awareness that we're living out of. We develop an awareness that is expanded and drop in the suggestion, expanded, open, allow. And if we develop that, what we're doing is preparing ourselves so that even the things that are disagreeable we have something we can learn from them. So, uh, remembering how the story of the Buddha didn't teach the Four Noble Truths to this fellow who was hungry, and first he dealt with the immediate level of suffering, and once that was resolved, then he gave him the Four Noble Truths. So, developing a open-hearted, broad-minded perspective and in so doing, hopefully, getting in touch with or finding out what obstructs a deep sense of okayness. If we don't have a foundation of good enough contentment, if we don't have access to a good enough level of inner contentment, then by turning to look at suffering, there's a very real risk we'll be overwhelmed by it. Very real risk will be overwhelmed by it. And no matter how sincere and enthusiastic we might be about practice. Conversely, if we do pay attention to building up a foundation of inner contentment, of a connection with our inner competence, connection with our, our storehouse of wholesomeness, building up our storehouse of wholesomeness, so that when the going gets tough, we've got we've got this reserve, we've got something we can turn to. Not just idealistically uh, thinking that we should be reflecting on suffering and the causes of suffering. That, that's, that's, the, that's the highest principle 
and that might be ultimately what we all need to do, what well, is ultimately what we all need to do. However, are we ready? Are we ready for that? So in the midst of a struggle, one of the things that is smart to pay attention to is are we caught up in our heads? Are we caught up in thinking about our problems? When we're identified as our thinking, which so many of us are so much of the time, identified as our thinking, then we can be very convinced that that's the right thing to do. Sit in our rooms and just think about your problems. When really, what might be better is to get up and go for a walk, however cold it might be outside. Put on a jacket and and go for a a, a vigorous walk. Or or if it's suitable, go jogging. Or if you're in the situation where it's suitable, then go swimming. Or... You know, to go and do some qigong exercise and something that brings us out of our heads and I can remember when the first few years when I was living here and, and as probably most of you here know there were lots of difficulties we had some, some issues with some of the neighbours accusing the trustees of, of bad behaviour and it got quite complicated and it was quite unpleasant to have to deal with and and I was a still a very junior monk at the time and I hadn't asked to be put in a position of abbot or run the monastery I was sent here and told to do it and and it was a real struggle however I remember regularly I would go for a walk to Bolham Lake and back and it takes about what 30 or 40 minutes to walk there and then do a lap of the lake and then walking back and and I would I can remember how often walking back, coming down the hill from Bolham Lake, and I can see the monastery on the horizon again and, and feeling better. There's, a, there's something that makes a big difference. You get out of your head and, and go for a walk. Mm. Stop thinking about our problems. Mm. Or if we could also remember the benefit, the potential benefit of Seeking out companions, you know, trustworthy friends. Of course, the ideal, you read the scriptures and listen to the great teachers, the ideal is to take full responsibility for yourself and sort out your own suffering. The last words from the Buddha, strive on with diligence. And so we can be very committed to that principle. However, sometimes what's really called for is finding a good friend somebody who you trust, somebody who you feel can listen to you without judging you. Yes, the principle of working it out and taking full responsibility for our lives, that's that's great, that's true. However, are we ready for that? Are we really ready for that? So when the struggle is intense, if you're feeling, for instance, deeply threatened or challenged, then sometimes what's called for is finding a friend. Remember that there's that Dhammapada verse you might be familiar with, verse 204, where the Buddha, the Buddha says, health is the greatest gain, contentment is the greatest wealth, trustworthiness is the best of kin, and unconditioned freedom is the highest bliss. Trustworthiness is the best of kin. Yeah. So finding somebody 
that we have trust and confidence in, or being that ourselves for somebody else. Just to be a trusting friend. Sometimes it's the case when maybe you, you meet somebody who's struggling intensely and perhaps feeling deeply threatened and, and you feel like, oh, I've got to help this person sort out their problem. And you're not really listening to what they're, they're sharing. They're busy trying to figure out your clever reply or uh, clever answer to their, their problem. Maybe what they need and what they'll benefit from is just your willingness to listen to them. Just, just be a, a trustworthy friend, somebody who's not going to judge them, just to meet them and listen to them. So not to underestimate the power of you know, physical exercise or, or friendship uh, or cultivating cultivating generosity, practicing dana. You don't have to be extremely wealthy to be able to go outside in the morning and put some water out for the birds. You know, when the water's all frozen over, lots of the birds die. You know, you know, instead of sitting in our room thinking about our problems, you know, get up and go outside and, and put a saucer of, of water out for the birds. Or Anybody can do that pretty well, I guess, unless you're in jail. And even if you're in jail, you can still offer your attention to somebody. Always we can offer our interest, you know, offer our attention. When we're confronted with challenges, such as feeling deeply threatened, it's very easy to buy into the story of, I am somehow inherently lacking, I need more. And if we buy into that story, then we're busy looking for more, somebody to give me more. And, and if we believe in that, we're just compounding it. So one approach is to outshine it, to use that word again, I love that word, to outshine that story by exercising our ability, by exercising our competence. We are capable of giving our attention to somebody, asking, how are you doing? We are capable of offering some, some water to the birds. And, and learning how to encourage ourselves in these areas. It's, it's very easy to read books and to think. That's, it comes natural to us. And sometimes it's a, in practice is a, a very different sort of effort is required we need to come out of our heads, get up, go outside and find ways of lifting ourselves up rather than allowing ourselves to sink down. There's a lot of talk and, and practice about allowing and being with, you know, particularly in, as I talk about practice in the mode of source orientation. and It can be misunderstood as being overly passive and yielding. And The, the Buddha did teach there's a place and a time for us being assertive in our effort not just sitting there and trying to be peaceful. Sometimes it's something we need to actually get up and be active as, actively generous, and actively attentive. So bearing all this in mind, that uh, if we're struggling or if we meet somebody else who's struggling and with deeply painful feelings, let's be careful that we don't 
uh, assume that the wonderful concepts we have about practice, the ideas we have about practice, the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths, paying attention to suffering, the cause of suffering, is the thing that needs to be emphasized. Sometimes what needs to be emphasized is, is building up a connection with our own inner wholesomeness, developing our inner wholesomeness, you know, generosity, kindness, honesty. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Thank you very